Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. Atlanta. This is City Lights. I'm Loris Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The Netflix series Bridgerton is wildly popular and binge-worthy for many reasons. Sumptuous settings, clever dialogue, steamy romance among its engaging characters, and casting that enables people of color to portray roles previously unavailable to them. Race rarely is mentioned in the series, and black characters are elevated to positions of power. In the world of Bridgerton, there's nothing unusual about that. Later in the program, the Atlanta-based R&B artist Jasmine Robinson will take us through her new music video, Money and Cars, which is set in Bridgerton-style surroundings with lavish costumes. First, last month, we kicked off our new food series, Atlanta's Savory Stories. In each episode, We'll explore our city's culinary history and spotlight a few local restaurants related to that topic. Today, amid a record-setting heat wave, we'll focus on something cool, ice cream. Food contributors Chef Asada Reed and culinary historian Akila McConnell begin by describing a Typical Atlanta summer in the 1870s. Take your mind back to the 1870s in Atlanta. There was no air conditioning or even electric fans. Fashion dictated that women wear full dresses with numerous petticoats and men wore jackets over their clothing. And just like any other Atlanta summer, it was hot. Super hot. Oh my God. (laughs) I can't imagine. We're complaining now. Can you imagine? I know it. I know it. Um, but there was a way to cool off back then. And it's something we all continue to love in modern Atlanta. And that was ice cream. Ice cream. We all scream for ice cream, of course. So tell me, how did people in the late 1800s make their ice cream? Well, think about the fact that ice cream requires three very important ingredients, cream, sugar, and ice. 
Cream and sugar were easy to find in the South, but ice was very difficult to get in Atlanta. So before delving into ice cream, uh, let's just talk for a quick second about ice because it's a pretty fascinating bit of forgotten history. Back in the early 1800s, the ice trade was the brainchild of Massachusetts entrepreneur Frederick Tudor, who was known as the ice king. That's quite a nickname, right? Um, right. <laughs> so when he was a teenager, he visited the sweltering climate of the Caribbean, and he realized he could make a fortune exporting northeastern ice to the wealthy people living in hotter climates. This was revolutionary thinking because until that time, only the wealthiest people in America or those living in cold climates could access ice. But people were really skeptical about whether or not he would succeed. When Tudor shipped his first brig of ice, the Boston Gazette joked that they hoped it would not be a slippery speculation in their quotes. I guess that's 1800s humor for you, dad jokes early on. But that's crazy that there's a trade for ice, like things you never think about in modern world, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, and after numerous setbacks in the 1800s, Tudor succeeded. Now, the way the ice trade worked was that men would cut ice from the frozen lakes and rivers in Massachusetts. So I don't know if you have kids that you've seen the first few minutes of the Disney movie Frozen. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Where they're cutting the ice into these huge blocks and shoving it down exactly. rivers. And that is exactly what they used to do. They used to cut those huge blocks of ice. They would pack the ice blocks between sawdust and then they would ship it all across the world, including to places like Hong Kong, India, South America, and the Southeastern United States, like right here in Atlanta. So wow. Tudor actually built ice houses all over the country. And by the 1880s, over 4 million tons of ice were stored each year with nearly 90,000 people involved in the ice trade in the 1880s. What? Crazy. That's insane. Crazy, right? <laughs> when he died, he was worth nearly $200 million in today's dollars simply from shipping frozen water. Wow, that's a lot of work for a block of it ice. It was. And, you know, given that, you can imagine that ice was still a luxury item in the South. In Atlanta in the 1880s, ice cost about eight cents per pound, which in today's money would be around $2 per pound for ice today. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, $2 per pound, that doesn't sound too bad. I want you to think about the fact that today you could buy a seven pound bag of ice for $2 at your local gas station. So ice was seven times more expensive back then. And you used to use ice for everything, including placing a block of ice in your wooden refrigerator, which would keep your meats and cheeses lasting longer because again, there was no electricity. Right. So when people started having ice more readily available, I'm guessing they started eating more ice cream? Yes, that is exactly right. And it actually has something to do with, again, another thing we tend not to think about in the present day. So back in the 1800s, it was considered dreadfully fast or very inappropriate in our terms for a woman to eat at a restaurant. A woman who 
Yeah, oh so a woman who ate at a restaurant <laughs> back in the 1800s, that was a surefire way for a woman to ruin her reputation. Oh, you should see me clutching my pearls. <laughs> so, you know, great question then is where would women meet? Of course, they could meet in their homes, but they also would meet at ice cream saloons. In 1849, the first ice cream saloon in Georgia opened in Macon, and it was specifically advertised to women as a place where the cooling luxuries of the season would be served. Atlanta actually didn't get its first ice cream saloon until after the Civil War, when G.W. Jack opened up an ice cream saloon under his mammoth candy manufacturing. But Asada, I have to tell you, my favorite ice cream saloon from the 1880s was managed by a female entrepreneur, Mrs. Alice Thompson. So um, Mrs. Thompson's husband, Robert Thompson, he owned Atlanta's first fine dining restaurant, which served delicacies like oysters and quail. And he soon realized, very likely due to encouragement from Alice, that ice cream saloons were popular among women. So he opened up two ice cream saloons in the city in the 1880s, and Alice was the host, or what in today's terms we would consider the manager of these saloons. Um, back mm. then, they used to serve ice cream made from very fresh cream, but the choices for ice cream flavors were significantly limited as to what we get today. Uh, you would get vanilla, chocolate, and perhaps lemon, strawberry, or peach when those fruits were in season. Um, for example, mm -hmm. I was looking through and coffee ice cream was only introduced to Atlanta in the 1920s. Wow. Okay. So obviously ice cream was really a luxury back then. Um, so how did it become something more commonplace? I mean, like nowadays we have so many types of ice cream and it's even hard to choose a flavor. Well, that had everything to do with refrigeration and artificial ice creation. Artificial ice creation? Yeah, that's right. So by the 1880s, entrepreneurs began developing artificial ice factories where ice would be manufactured by using ammonia compression. Um, oh. So, you know, by the late 1880s, people were no longer having to ship ice all the way from the Northeast. And because of that, ice became significantly cheaper. There were actually several ice factories in Atlanta, including one in Marietta and one in downtown Atlanta. At the same time, companies began developing the technology for refrigerators. So think about both of these. You get the combo of more ice as well as refrigerators, and that results in a greater interest and desire for ice cream. Got it. Uh, so ice cream no longer becomes a special occasion food. It's something that people would eat nearly every day, not just in the summer, but all year long. Now, the other simultaneous, very interesting thing happening post-World War II is that schools began pushing the drink more milk campaigns. Um, and I think if you're an 80s kid, right, you, re you mm -hmm. remember the milk mustache campaign. All the athletes and celebrities. Exactly. Yep. As a body That's good. A body good. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they don't really have a lot of milk campaigns nowadays, but those milk campaigns began in the 1920s, kind of lasted through the early 2000s. And that increased, uh, resulted in a huge increase in dairy consumption across the country and particularly in the South. 
And ice cream manufacturers, very smart, said, wait, here we go. Here's a way to get your kids to eat dairy. Um, it'll do them mm. good. It's delicious. You won't have to fight to get them to drink milk. So by the year 1920, Atlanta was the leading producer of ice cream in the South, selling nearly $3 million in ice cream per year, which would in today's terms be around $39 million in ice cream today. Wow. It's a lot of ice it's cream. It's a lot of ice cream. <laughs> and um, you have actually probably seen one of Atlanta's uh, biggest ice cream manufacturers because that location still exists. So in 1935, um, Southern Dairies opened up in the old Fourth Ward neighborhood. And it's kind of right behind uh, where Pont City Market is today. It was at mm -hmm. the time the largest ice cream producer in the South, the first to receive the good housekeeping seal of approval in Atlanta. They even used to offer tours to the public to come and visit the ice cream plant and taste their many flavors. Today, Southern Dairies has been redeveloped into a loft space and it's right next to Pond City Market. Culinary historian Akila McConnell and chef Asad Reed our food contributors to the new series, Atlanta Savory Stories. We'll be back with more of that conversation in just a moment. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Wrights. It's great to have you along. Let's get back to more of our series, Atlanta Savory Stories. Our food contributors, culinary historian Akila McConnell and chef Asad Reed, have been taking us through Atlanta's ice cream history. Here, Asada spotlights some delicious places you can try around the city if you're looking for a cool treat. I recently had a conversation with my friend Jake Rothschild. He's the namesake and founder of Jake's Ice Cream, and they are celebrating 23 years in Atlanta. I love Jake's Ice Cream, Asada. It's so good. It's such a cute area the whole market is just adorable over there off of Krog Street but um, Jake came to Atlanta in 1999 and set up shop on Highland 
before he moved over to Irwin Street in 2005. And this was long before the hipsters were purchasing property in Old Fourth Ward. He said back then he didn't even know what gentrification was, and he just took a chance on the neighborhood and the bombed out roofless building that he moved into. (laughs) Jake's was the first artisanal ice cream shop in Atlanta. And since then, he's become an institution in that neighborhood, hiring folks from the community and really tuning in to the wants and needs of his neighbors. So during COVID, Jake did like many of us. He pivoted and produced some new lines of treats to meet the needs of the community. So I really want to know, what are some of those new treats that he created during COVID? Okay, the first one is obviously a love story to his own dog. He created Pup Scream. It's a dog-safe ice cream with finely grated veggies in it that are healthy for dogs. It's sugar-free, and it's made with oat milk and a pumpkin base. And I don't know if you have a dog, but I used to work in veterinary clinics, and dogs love pumpkin. (laughs) So when you're on the belt line walking your dog, you can just stop right at Jake's to get a cup of pup scream for your pooch because it's literally on the belt line. So cute. Isn't that adorable? So the next Jake's launched hot milk as in hot culture it's an oat milk based ice cream so it's vegan and i have to say i love oat milk of all the plant-based milks because it's the creamiest in my opinion so hot milk is diabetic friendly because they use low glycemic sweeteners and it comes in almost every flavor of the original jake's ice cream which i think is so great because everyone can get in on the ice cream party and it's inclusive. It's vegan. It's dairy-free. It's gluten-free. So everybody can get in and get their share. And then finally, Jake's launched Kids Scream. Um, As a mom, this one might resonate with you like it did with me because it's geared towards young kids and comes in all the colors of the rainbow. So kids love it at first sight. And it's made with, don't tell the kids, vegetables like beets and butternut squash. Kids love it because of the flavors and the look and the taste and parents love it because it's low in sugar and it includes veggies. Very smart. I love that idea. And, you know, I asked Jake, like, why ice cream? Why do you make ice cream? Because he originally came to Atlanta to market his natural cocoa mix, but hot Atlanta was not ready for hot chocolate. And he said making ice cream was one of those rare harmonious things that his family did together. It was the nostalgia, the love that led him to ice cream. And I even learned we shared a favorite flavor as children, but I'm not going to give that away yet. Before I go there, Akila, what was your favorite flavor of ice cream when you were a girl? You know, I think ice cream, that's a great question. It's one of those things everyone has very specific tastes on. Um, Actually, funny enough, America's favorite ice cream flavor is chocolate ice cream, but I'm only so-so on chocolate ice cream. My favorite is and always has been black cherry ice cream. I mean, I remember as a kid, my mom would buy us Breyers black cherry ice cream. And I thought there was nothing better. Um, <laughs> even today, I still love cherry ice cream. Uh, one of my favorites is actually Jenny's, which is of course a national brand, uh, but Jenny's makes us goat cheese with cherries. One of my favorite flavors. Mm. And Jenny's butter cake is one of mine. My mom is an ice cream aficionado and butter pecan has long been her jam as long as I can remember. But as a kid, that flavor just did not do it for me. Fortunately, mom would run us down to Candler Road on occasion to the Baskin Robbins. And if I was lucky, they would have the pink bubblegum flavor and I would be in kid heaven. Because even though the bubblegum and that screaming neon pink ice cream was hard as rocks, 
I would save all the pieces until the end. And when my ice cream was gone, I would fruitlessly attempt to chew them together into a wad of gum that would produce a bubble. <laughs> I don't think I, it ever happened, uh, but it never deterred me from trying. And in my kid brain, it was the equivalent of two treats in one. Uh, I have two kids and they both love and continue to love bubblegum ice cream. And as I <laughs> thought as a child, and I continue to think today, yeah, just not my favorite. <laughs> well, that is what I learned was Jake's favorite flavor as a child too, one of his. So that was something we had in common. But many years later, when I was working in the food industry and had developed more refined palate, <laughs> I had many chances to sample some amazing ice creams, gelatos, and other frozen desserts. And when I worked at Dish in the Virginia Highlands under Chef Sherry Davis, our pastry chef, Jennifer Dorn, produced my all-time favorite flavor. I can still taste it, the saffron ice cream. The base was a minimum 36% milk fat heavy cream, so you already know it was rich and smooth and creamy and the saffron was steeped in water first to extract more of the flavor. And the unique perfume of the saffron infused the base, permeating the ice cream and giving it this lush golden color that only saffron can do. It is impossible to mimic that color, that yellow, that golden hue. And when you tasted the finished ice cream, it was just sweet enough to tantalize and that saffron flavor would bloom across your palate, as fragrant as it was delicious. Every bite was just delightful. Asada, you've got my mouth watering over here. <laughs> uh, but that reminds me of one of my current favorite ice cream flavors, and it is at the local shop Butter and Cream Indicator, owned by Stacy Gunther and began in 2014. They make small batch ice cream right here in Atlanta. And one of my very favorite flavors is their Persian rose. It contains pistachio and rose water. It's just an absolutely mm. divine flavor. Um, if you're not into pistachios, then their other flavor that I always highly recommend is their honeycomb forest, which has real tiny chunks of honeycomb in it with dark mm. chocolate fudge sauce, uh, that is pretty darn close to heaven in my book. I love the idea of the flavor combination of the rose water and pistachios and an ice cream. That sounds amazing. Um, one of our family favorites is Morelli's Gourmet Ice Cream on Moreland Avenue. It's near Warmwood Park, um, and it's another Atlanta original started in 2008. And again, it's ice cream as a labor of love. The owner, Donald uh, Sargent started making ice cream after working in pharmaceutical sales of all things for a decade. He opened up shop with his wife, Clarissa Morelli, hence the name. And the ice cream here in a word is dense. It's dense and creamy and they create some really interesting flavors. Uh, recently, I had the rosemary olive oil, uh, which sounds like it's gonna be heavy, but it wasn't. The rosemary was very light and the olive oil just kind of enhanced the, the mouthfeel of the ice cream. Um, but I also love the ginger lavender, which is so good. Um, the flavors rotate frequently, so you don't get bored. And they also have my favorite milkshake made so thick, you can hold that thing upside down and it will not fall out of the cup. And that is the Mexican malt shake. It's undeniably chocolate with hints of cinnamon. It's 
literally like the cold thick version of a Mexican style hot chocolate mix like Abuelita or Ibarra. Morelli's also has the distinction of being a black owned business as well. Perfect. Uh, I love Morelli's and I remember they were really the very first place that I had tried salted caramel ice cream. And to Mm -hmm. this day, I prefer their salted caramel ice cream over any other because they do an extra heaping of salt in it. It's it's very salty, Um, absolutely delicious. I think that was one of the flavors when they first broke uh, or opened up really attracted the food critics. Like everyone could not get enough of their salted caramel. No, ab- absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and you know, I've lived in Atlanta now for a very, very long time. And I distinctly remember the lines you used to get yes. to go and get Morelli's salted caramel. I mean, it was, it was, yes. a, it was a show over there. So <laughs> Well, ice cream purists may get sticky about this next one. You see what I did there? I like ice it. Cream. <laughs> right. But Honeysuckle Gelato in Pont City Market deserves a nod, even though it serves gelato and not ice right, cream. So break it down for a chef. What is the difference between gelato and ice cream? Oh, great question. Um, the difference lies in the proportion of the ingredients. Gelato has more milk and less cream compared to ice cream. Um, Gelato usually doesn't contain egg yolks, while ice cream and custards can. They don't have to, but often they do. Gelato is lower in fat than ice cream because it's made with more milk than cream, and it also tends to contain less air, giving it a denser texture. Uh, Because gelato has less air, it typically has a little more sugar than ice cream, which gives it a more scoopable texture. Um, And Akila, I know you've traveled the globe, have you had gelato in I Italy? have, and I'll, Ooh, you tell. I'll tell you, in Italy, almost always the most popular flavor, going back to this pistachio thing, is actually pistachio gelato. Yeah, wow. what about yeah, that? It's not super common to find here in the U.S., but cremolosa, which is over indicator, Another amazing gelateria, um, Cremolosa does make an amazing pistachio gelato. Uh, but uh, but you were talking about honeysuckle gelato, so, so tell us a little bit about that one as well. Okay, they're another Atlanta original uh, with a backstory built in love and friendship. Three friends, Jackson Smith, Wes Jones, and Katera Ballard, got together and started this gelato food business out of a truck in 2011. This Pont City Market location is their first shop, but they're ambitious and they've spread their gelato goodness to other locations around the city and to North Carolina. Their um, bourbon pecan praline just screams classic Southern flavors. The Nutella is a hit with my daughter because she's obsessed with that stuff. And I'm a fan of the chai gelato. I guess there's just something about me and herbs and spices in my ice cream. (laughs) Um, They also make shakes and cookie sandwiches out of their gelato flavors. But I don't think you can talk about gelato in Atlanta without bringing up Paolo's Gelato Italiano in the Virginia Highlands. Paolo's claims to be the oldest gelateria in the Southeast, opening up shop in 1999. And I may be wrong, but Paolo's also might be the only gelato shop in Atlanta that's run by an actual Italian. When you call, don't be surprised if the owner Paolo Zalazorza answers the phone or scoops your gelato himself because he's very hands-on and the shop is super cute like a slice out of Italy 
and Paolo is a total character. His outgoing personality is as much a part of the experience as his highly praised gelato. Now, I love gelato, but I've got to tell you another great alternative to traditional ice cream that isn't as heavy as traditional ice cream is soft serve. And oh yeah, and if we are talking about soft serve, you know, Atlanta, we've got our own soft serve, which is Sarah O'Brien's big softy down in the Summer yes. Hill area. Love, love, yeah. love. Um, so they have so many creative and unique options. Some of my favorites are their classic vanilla topped with strawberry shortcake crumbles or pink praline. They even have a passion fruit hard shell, which is perfect mm. with some toasted coconut topping. And best of all, if you are vegan or can't handle dairy, Big Softy has a vegan oat vanilla flavor, which is an absolutely gorgeous uh, ice cream, vegan ice cream with their honeycomb toppings. Mm, nice. Speaking of vegan options, I have a great store-bought option for you that has ties to Atlanta. Even though he was born in North Carolina, Music mogul and Grammy winner Jermaine Dupree is considered an Atlanta native son. His impact on the Atlanta music scene is undeniable, and he's made hits with legends such as Usher, Destiny's Child, Monica, Boyz II Men, Jay-Z, and more. But what's that got to do with ice cream? Well, you know, the dairy-free ice cream is a huge market segment now, and more people are going plant-based, and JD has his hand in the pot with JD's vegan, dairy-free, all-natural frozen desserts. Dupree has an exclusive distribution deal with Walmart. His 404 cookies and cream and Atlanta peach cobbler are obvious homage to his favorite city. And to find the store closest to you that carries JD's Vegan, you just go to his website, jdsvegan.com. I love the music ice cream combination. That's just, you know. It's so Atlanta. It's It's so so Atlanta. Atlanta. So Atlanta. So Asada, of course, you are a chef. So what recipe are you going to give us today related to ice cream? Are we actually going to learn how to make ice cream or is it going to be something a little more unique? Oh, we're going to do something a little more unique. So whether you like your ice cream, milk-based or dairy-free, I've got an idea for you that screams summer. It is a no-cook fried ice cream bars. Let's face it, you honestly can't improve upon ice cream unless you figure out how to deep fry it because that takes everything to the next level. So what if we could get the crunch and sweetness that mimics a fried coating on our favorite ice cream flavors and we could serve it up as ice cream bars? This is a summertime win-win that's super easy to make. The kids and the kids at heart are going to love this. I'll post the recipe to the WABE story, but basically you're going to create a crunchy coating using good old-fashioned cornflakes that are crushed up and stirred into melted butter to make a crust and kissed with a little brown sugar and cinnamon. I'm pretty confident this will work with other things like crushed up cookies, crackers, and pretzels, all of which are used to make crusts for chilled pies in a similar fashion. And definitely feel free to experiment with other spices and sweeteners too. So here's what you're going to do. You'll mix up two quarts of your favorite ice cream in a bowl. You can start off with classic vanilla and you just want to stir it until it's slightly melted enough so you can spread it. And then you'll spread a layer of the cooled cereal mixture onto an ungreased uh, baking sheet. Nine by 13 works great. And then drop scoops of the slightly softened ice cream on top of the cereal layer and use a spatula to spread it out. 
Next, you'll use the rest of the cereal mixture on top of the ice cream and gently pat it down with your hands so that it sticks to the ice cream. And you can drizzle a little honey on top or chocolate or caramel sauce and then get it ready for the freezer by covering the whole shebang with foil. Now you're gonna to wanna to freeze it for at least five hours. You gotta make some space in the freezer for this. It takes a little planning, but you wanna make sure it's nice and solid. And then before serving it, you will want it to thaw just a little bit so you can slice it, maybe 10 minutes. And then you slice it into bars and you can eat these tasty treats as is or use them as the base for a decadent destructed banana split. Um, maybe our listeners can come up with some ways to modify this creation. And if you do, feel free to tag us on social media and we can have a virtual ice cream party. Chef Asada Reed and culinary historian Akila McConnell, our food contributors to our ongoing series, Atlanta's Savory Stories. You can find those restaurant recommendations and Asada's recipe for this episode on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Coming up, R&B artist Jasmine Robinson tells us about her Bridgerton-influenced music video for the hit song Money and Cars. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. Is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for being here. Since Bridgerton graced our TVs in 2020, it has been a binge-worthy show. Phenomenal. Garnering 12 Emmy nominations, too. The lavish period drama was the inspiration for Atlanta R&B artist Jasmine Robinson's new music video, Money and Cars. The new single premiered exclusively on Pinterest TV earlier this year. Pinterest TV is a new Atlanta-based platform that features a series of live original episodes with creators on Pinterest. Joining me now via Zoom are Namita Gupta, Pinterest TV's creator marketing lead of partnerships, and Jasmine Robinson. Welcome to City Lights. Hi! Hi! I'm so excited to be a part! (laughs) Excited to have you here. First, How does Pinterest TV differ from other platforms such as YouTube and TikTok? Well, Pinterest TV, first of all, it's incredibly new. So we absolutely love kind of being at the forefront of creating episodes that are very specific, obviously, to Pinterest. So I would say what really stands it apart is how we're truly, truly catering all these episodes to what people are searching for on Pinterest. Um, to what really works well on our platform. So for example, Jasmine really was a huge catalyst in figuring out how we were going to go after and find more, you know, kind of emerging artists to really launch their new pieces on our platform. 
So when Jasmine came to me with this idea, it was the first ever exclusive music video premiere launch, which has now created a plethora of new doors to open for us as well in terms of getting more more of that type of content on the platform. Jasmine, it's impressive that you are not only the artist here, but clearly were helping Namita and Pinterest with a new concept. I mean, when you're working with a team as great as Pinterest, <laughs> they make it so easy. When people say like, oh, we're four creators, like it's kind of like just the same, but Pinterest is really for creators. And I kind of partnered with the director of the music video, which, which was Melissa Effa. And she and I would come to Namita with these ideas and she would just take them on. And I'm like, yes, this is what mm. we need. <laughs> Jasmine, I read that your life motto is got something to prove. I'm wondering how you came up with that when you came up with that and the meaning it has for you? Well, I think it's just paying attention to the pattern of my life. I think a lot of uh, questions are answered through patterns. And um, whenever I'm like super determined to do something, especially when we were starting the, you know, ideas for the Bridgerton themed video, Money and Cars, it was just like, we got something to prove. Like this was not something we envisioned it just happened and unraveled step by step so i i don't know it's just like a hyper focused thing that i i feel like i've adapted since i moved to la i'm from atlanta so even filming going back and filming the music video in atlanta it was just like yeah we got something to prove <laughs> how did you create your own path and find your voice in such a competitive industry? A big part of finding your voice has to do with trial and error. And a lot of people don't seem to find their voice because they haven't tried enough. I have failed multiple times, uh, proudly though, knowing that I was searching for, like I said, the patterns. And once I can see the, those things that I'm like, oh, I like this a lot. Like this, I take this on as something I implement in my music all the time, whether it's sonically, whether it's through my clothes, whether it's through my music videos. Like it, I want people to feel that essence of happiness and that part of me through my music. And when they, when they speak to me and meet to me. So I think um, ultimately it, it comes from a lot of trial and error. <laughs> Your debut EP titled Ocean was released in the fall of 2019. What's the backstory to that song? Um, Ocean was one of my first releases when I did a brand change from QT Jazz to Jasmine. It was my coming of age project. And just like many sessions and many songs that we create, there's, they start off as therapy sessions. So I, was, I remember I was like having relationship problems and I'm talking to the songwriter and we're going back and forth bouncing ideas. And I'm like, you know what really just gets me going? <laughs> like guys who just get it and can, can, um, entice me just like mentally stimulate me and and are just interesting that way and he was like let's let's put that in a song but in a clever way and I'm like okay let's do that so that was our way of doing that and that's how ocean kind of came about Ocean, 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 ocean. 
Now, Money and Cars, your new single, was released this year, and very exciting that it is a video on Pinterest. How do you think you've grown as an artist since your debut in 2019? Oh, man. I feel just really more confident. I think I like many we're in the fruits of our labor as far as what we did in the pandemic and i feel confident in all the work that like what happened and transpired during that time at home alone <laughs> so i would say confidence and that's across the board in my life in my music in the things that i'm putting out like when the music video came out i said to everyone i'm like this is the best thing i've ever done this is the best thing I've ever been a part of. Like, <laughs> and I stand on it so humbly because I because I really genuinely feel that way. Hmm. I'm hoping you'll walk us through the Bridgerton-themed music video. And Namita, please feel free to join in because I'm also curious about how Jasmine and Pinterest TV worked together to create this magical set. Yeah, definitely. Well, like Jasmine said, her and Melissa came to me, you know, kind of out of the blue with this idea. Um, as soon as I read Melissa's pitch, I was instantly, instantly intrigued. And I think the way that I take my role on is kind of from a different lens. I know it's kind of a buzzword these days, but I really come to the role that I'm in and accept partnerships with the lens of empathy, but really with the lens of wanting to create moments and end products and partnerships that like really touch the hearts and minds of people, but in very like unique ways. And when I read Melissa's pitch and I saw a little bit about who Jasmine was, just her overall story and how much grit and determination I saw in her from like literally day one, it like touched my heart instantly and I wanted to be a part of her story. So that I would say was what really, really drew me in. And then as I started working with the two of them, just their level of attention to detail, but also just like the heart and soul they put into like each question I asked them, each like piece of content Jasmine posts, like it's done truly with perfection, with such speed, with such attentiveness. And like, I haven't, and honestly, like still to this day, people at Pinterest internally talk about the content that Jasmine posted has been far superior than what we've gotten from like anyone else, whether they're larger, smaller, whatever it may be, like Jasmine truly was and has been someone that's made some of the best and most inspiring content on our platforms. Tell us about the set. It's sumptuous, it's lavish, it takes us back to the 19th century when Bridgerton is set, and also the costumes. Well, I'll chime in a little bit. I will say Melissa and I really 
wanted to make sure that we had everything we needed to make this feel grand. And so the first thing we found was the Hay House, which was in Macon, Georgia. It was a museum and it was beautiful. I mean, I walked in and I was like, oh my goodness, I saw it for the first time in person and I was so overwhelmed. So I knew that everything had to match that level and standard. And um, we initially reached out to a couple of designers, but this turnaround being so kind of fast, I actually came to my mother and I was like, mom, I need you to help me make dresses for my music video. And she made every single piece from the guy's costume. I I didn't even know that, Jasmine. I love that. (laughs) Wait, is she a professional designer? Well, um, her, her childhood consisted a lot of like doing Mardi Gras for she lived in uh, Mississippi. So she did Mardi Gras costumes. Me as a child, she would, you know, have me audition, but she would make my outfits so that I would stand out. And she's just really been an anchor for a lot of my career growing up in the entertainment industry. So I knew I could come to her and I knew she could pull it off. And she just had dresses everywhere. She had options. She was Amazoning things and, and alterating them, you know, so that we could get it done fast because it was a it was it was a large crew, and um, I was so grateful for her participation. It was our first time working together in a long time. So. Wait, and the men's costumes too? Yes, she literally did everyone's costumes from the everything you saw, and then um, I of course had people come in for like hair and makeup. But one of the big leaders in the hair department was actually my sister and she was like I feel like you guys should do it bigger and I'm like tell me your ideas so I feel like I came from a house of creatives and therefore again to work with like Pinterest was a dream because I I had like a village backing me why you do that why you showing out just because was you looking for the applause why you do that now you got exactly what you want Then you start a show But you should know those things don't move Me not a girl Be made my bag, I can be juicy And the push You flash each other, you might be nice But that don't confuse me And don't know that's why you like me I'm not sure usually If you notice I take my time Slow it down But you speed it up Then you miss the fuse If you move too fast, you lose don't miss it all at one night Good things take time Oh, wow. Why did you want Bridgerton to be the theme of the music video? And, and I was hoping you'd talk about how Bridgerton relates to the song itself. Well, Melissa was the one who initially brought the Bridgerton theme idea to me. I then jumped on it immediately because I, one, fell in love with the show. Two, I'm also an actress. So I fell in love with the idea that I could, you know, be a part of the story. But outside of Bridgerton being a great storyline, it's also so diverse. You know what I mean? Like from the who the queen is, the different colors and range and races that they put, like how it's painted is beautiful. And we wanted to embody that beauty, specifically the black beauty and, and what that means to, to be put in that light. You know what I mean? Like we've never seen anything like Bridgerton before and that's what we were going for. Like some, 
a, a grand version of what black beauty true and black excellence truly is. And I think Bridgerton embodies that wholeheartedly. I just thought that the way they did it and really kind of made it like highlighted the idea of female black empowerment was so special. Oh, absolutely. And just the the idea of representation. Why shouldn't black people see themselves as aristocratic? Now, do you want to walk us through the video? The concept of the video really is about women being able to make the choice on who they choose as the suitor. So unlike the show in Bridgerton where, you know, the women are being courted or they're you know, learning things and training for this grand season to be, to find a mate, uh, we wanted it to switch the roles. So throughout the music video, you'll see how we do that and how we embody dance and hip hop and black culture and modernizing it. And also of course, staying true to the theme of the show, which is amazing. <laughs> yes. And even with that emphasis on marriage being the end goal. The original Jane Austen is quite feminist in its outlook on life and society. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Moving forward from the early 19th century to the present, how did the Real Housewives of Atlanta reality star Candy Burris get involved? <laughs> Well, I would say that I have actually known Candy since I was a really little, little girl. So running back to my mom making outfits for me, she was also making outfits for them randomly. It was very much so of a family friend to the whole escape clan. And as the years progressed, I just grew up around that environment. And later me and Candy became very close as I got older. And so I asked her, I was like, can you be a part of my music video? It's gonna be so cool. And she's always so down with anything that I throw at her, whether it's a TikTok idea or just anything. And I'm like, this is really cool, just wait on it. And it does well, so she just trusts it and goes with it. So I was really happy when she came all the way from Atlanta to Macon and just took pictures with everyone, was so kind and literally played her role. <laughs> Namita, in addition to Jasmine, who are some of the content creators with weekly episodes on Pinterest TV? We truly are kind of creating very like bespoke um, content. So right now, I would say on Pinterest TV, we're kind of just like introducing creators as they come about, like, you know, really leaning into fashion, beauty, food, design, et cetera. But one of the partnerships that I just closed that I'm super, super excited about, and it's going to fingers crossed turn into um, programming that we do do on a monthly basis is with an astrology partner actually called Sanctuary. And so through them, we're going to be creating unique content that's based around each astrological sign season. So the first one we're launching with is cancer season. That would be me. Yes. Oh, great. Great to have you. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so essentially with each, with each month, we're going to be onboarding a new creator who 
either specializes in human design or, you know, tarot reading or astrology, horoscope reading, and they'll kind of be teaching the audience, you know, something about themselves, that particular season, how to manifest um, using Pinterest and your Pinterest boards. And so I'm really excited about it. I think that that's going to be an awesome series. And let's face it, we know it's not scientific, but it sure is fun and people like to read their horoscopes. Absolutely. Really excited about it all. Namita Gupta, Pinterest TV's creator marketing lead of partnerships and R&B artist Jasmine Robinson. You can see Jasmine's new music video, Money and Cars, on Pinterest TV. More information about the platform is on our website, wabe.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., Algebra Blissette stops by. The R&B artist is hosting WABE's Mixtape Live concert at Monday Night Garage this Sunday. Plus, the Atlanta creatives behind the Hugo Girl podcast discuss science fiction with a feminist lens. If you missed part of today's show, you could catch up on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. There you'll find our complete archive of interviews, so you can listen to City Lights on your own schedule. City Lights senior producer is Kim Drobes. Summer Evans is our producer, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. Do connect with City Lights on social media. We're at WABE City Lights on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.